Well, good morning, everyone. Um, I'm going to apologize in advance. I'm going to have a little bit of a difficult time reading this morning. I uh, am having a consultation on my eyes tomorrow, and they told me I couldn't wear contacts for four straight days, and um, that's like torture to me. <laughs> and so um, I'm not used to wearing glasses, so I appreciate any grace that you can give me. Uh, we are in uh, a sermon series where we are looking at Martin Luther and his 95 Thesis since this is the month in which we celebrate the Reformation. And so Reformation Day is, in fact, on October 31st. And so for Halloween, I will be dressed as Martin Luther himself. And I might even come with some of his famous insults that go along with it. If you don't know Martin Luther... Martin Luther, he was a brilliant theologian, brilliant at foreign languages, especially biblical languages, and just a, a brilliant theologian, but he had a bit of a nasty, cantankerous side, and he is known for some of the most callous and hard-hitting, slanderous um, attacks on people, verbal attacks, especially individuals who he considered to be heretics, which was a lot of individuals, folks, a lot of individuals. And in fact, he's so well known, I, I, I kid you not, there is a website dedicated to just his slanderous attacks where you can click a button and randomly one of his attacks will come up. And so if you ever need to like verbally abuse somebody uh, with something that sounds very intelligent, just go on that website and you can find something just really smart sounding. Um, it's, it's really, really great, So, but entertaining nonetheless. So this morning, we are going to be looking... Uh, last week, we looked at repentance. This week, we are going to be looking at the treasure that is the gospel. And we're going to be looking in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7 through 12. Now, I want to begin this uh, message this morning by telling a brief, uh, just a brief story. Um, I've been listening to a podcast lately, uh, and Crystal's going to be happy when I'm caught up with all of them because every time I hear a new story, I want to go share it, and sometimes she's in the car when I'm listening to it. And, and this podcast is a podcast of individuals who, are, who go out hiking, skiing, mountain biking, hunting, something of that nature outside in the wilderness, and they get caught in a situation that should kill them. In fact, there are so many of these stories, it's, inter- it's, not a, it's not a Christian podcast, it's not from a Christian worldview, but it is amazing how oftentimes the word miracle is shared. Even though many of the individuals that are on there, they say, well, we might, they're, they're either unbelievers or they, are, they have a spiritual side or something. But they are just constantly sharing about miracles that are happening out on this hiking trail. And this one story really, uh, really got to me. Um, and I thought it was appropriate to share this morning. Uh, there was a woman by the name of, and we'll call her Amy, uh, because honestly I can't remember her first name. And so we'll just go with that. And she was a SAR. Um, and, so, and what a SAR is, S-A-R, is a search and rescue individual. And they are very common, especially out west in the mountains. You'll see them up in the, around the Appalachian Trail. 
uh, in a variety of places, but they were specialists, rangers, uh, who are skilled and knowledgeable in search and rescue. And this woman uh, was in search and rescue, and she decided she's up in the up in the uh, in the main area, New Hampshire area. And there's this one mountain uh, up in that area called Mount Washington, I believe. And I believe it's in New Hampshire, if I'm not uh, correct. I didn't check before uh, before the message this morning. And anyway, she decided on this day to go up this mountain and just go for a hike. Now she's very skilled, a very gifted hiker. She knows what to bring with her and what not to bring and those types of things and knows how to take care of herself. And so she went on this mountain. Now, here's what you got to know about this mountain is that this mountain is known for having some of the worst weather changes of any location in the world. And in fact, on this mountain back in the 1930s, the largest gust of wind was recorded, which was over 200 miles an hour. And it changes like this. You, you just you don't. So if you get stuck on this mountain, you don't have an opportunity to get off. I mean, you 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 are likely going to have to just buckle down and survive it or not. And so she went hiking. She had her boots. She had her pack. She had her water. She had her snacks and everything. And she starts going up this mountain alone. And she had her safety gear. She had her her satellite phone or she had her telephone. All these things that she needed in order in case there was an emergency. This was just a day hike. She wasn't going to spend the night. And as she's trekking up this mountain, all of a sudden the weather changes. And she thinks to herself, knowing how this mountain behaves and how many rescues she's been on, that she probably needs to turn back. But she decided, you know what, I think I still have time. I'm just going to keep on going for a little while longer. Maybe the weather will change a little bit more. And she keeps on going. Well, eventually it starts snowing on this mountain. And snows on this mountain usually about eight, I think, eight months out of the year. So it's not a low peak. And as she was walking, it starts to snow. And she finally comes to the decision that she's going to turn around and start going back down. However, as she turns around, she looks in the snow and notices that there are footprints in the snow right ahead of her. But these footprints are going off to the side. And as she looks at the footprints a little, she hadn't seen anybody on the mountain that day. And so she didn't know where these footprints were coming, where they were going, but she noticed that they were going off the trail. And so she looked at the footprints, and one of the things that she realized were that the footprints did not have tread on them. They were a very flat-faced footprint, which meant that the individual was likely not wearing boots or hiking shoes or something appropriate for that mountain, even in good weather. And so... Her, her, her SAR instincts kicked in, and she said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to track this a little ways because it is very likely that in this weather, if they don't get down, they're going to get in trouble, and I'm already here. So she starts trekking along this side, and she starts looking, and the tracks become more distinct. Uh, they were fresher. And as she looked up ahead, she saw a man. She saw a man sitting on a rock, and she called out to him, and he didn't respond. He was just sitting there. But she could tell when she looked at his face and at his skin that he had been there a while and that he was suffering, uh, physically suffering. He wasn't speaking. She, he seemed like he was out of it. And she was kind of protecting herself a little bit. She didn't know what she was getting into. But as she moved up to him, she noticed that he was incapable of speaking because he was so physically exhausted 
from the weather and what he's experienced. Now, the sad part about this is that where she was going with, with full-on hiking gear and multiple layers, this fella had tennis shoes on, a very thin set of windbreaker pants, a t-shirt, and a very light jacket. And she, she sort of chastised him a little bit, like, what are you doing up here in this, in this outfit, you know, not, not being prepared? And he wouldn't speak to her. He said, she she kind of shook him a little bit and, and said, well, we've got to go. And so she got, she got her, her, her bivy out and she wrapped it around him and just to try to keep some warmth in there. And she embraced him to kind of keep him warm and warm him up, gave him some of her hot chocolate, gave him some food and stuff. And he just wouldn't speak. He just wouldn't speak. And then all of a sudden, she said, we've got to go. We have got to go. And so she chastised him a little bit more, trying to be nice. But she's like, this isn't just his life we're talking about. It's my life. And so she finally got him up. And she started, she said, I want you to stay right on my heels. And as she's walking, she notices that the snow is coming down more. It's just coming down, just, just sleet, just snow everywhere. It was almost a whiteout. And he was not wearing the proper shoes to trek back down this trail. This wasn't just like Cove Springs type trails. These were very rough and there were big boulders and all sorts of things. So it had been very easy for this person to slip and fall off the trail and kill themselves. And so they continued to go and she would sing. She was singing all sorts of songs just to kind of keep the mood up and try to keep him going. And he would slow down and she would yell at him. And at one point he actually just sat down just collapsed right there. And she yelled at him some more to get him up on his feet and to get him going. They crossed some very treacherous terrain. And eventually, they made it down to the parking lot. Now, this was after about a seven-mile hike down the mountain. So this was a long trip. This wasn't just you know a quarter of a mile out in the woods. It was a very long trek. They finally got down into the parking lot. And she said, are you going to be okay? And he said, I believe so. And he says, I borrowed a car to get here so I could go hike. And so he got in the car. There was nothing in the trunk when he opened it. Uh, he didn't have any dry clothes. And she said, you need to go straight to the hospital. And so he said, okay. And so he hopped in the car. And he drove away. And she never saw him again. But all of the rangers, when, they, when she got back to the office and she told him about this experience, they wanted to know about it because they were going to learn from it. And she said it was just a very strange, strange experience being out there and being with it. Like it didn't fit. Something didn't make sense. It was a mystery. Now we're going to come back to that. But the gospel is also a mystery. The gospel is also a mystery. There is something about the gospel that just doesn't make sense. And what doesn't make sense about the gospel is this, is that a perfect and holy God would choose to give His perfect and holy Son over to a criminal's cross for the sake of sinful and unholy people. It just doesn't make sense. I mean, think of it. Would we give our, first of all, would we sacrifice ourselves for someone that we would consider to be unholy, bad, immoral? You know, I'm just going to tell you that I, I don't know. I, I'm just not real excited about, you know, 
sacrificing myself for somebody who I don't think deserves it. Yeah, I, I know I can't be alone here. Am I the only one alone here? Am I? Am, am I, I mean, I just don't. I don't get real excited. I'm not like like getting up at five in the morning and throwing my clothes on. Like I'm going to go out and sacrifice for, for myself for somebody I don't even like. Let alone giving over one of my children for the sake of someone we might call an enemy. But that's exactly what God did. God gave His Son for His enemy. And there's a mystery to that. There's a mystery to that. But the mystery is solved when we realize who God is. That He is perfect. And He is completely benevolent and all-loving and holy and all-knowing. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing that God would send His beautiful Son for broken people. Which means that the gospel is the greatest treasure that we could ever have. And it turns out that those who have come to Christ in salvation have the gospel within us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, Martin Luther, back in 1517, in his 95 Theses, challenged the Catholic Church over a variety of things, most of them involving the indulgences. And his 62nd Theses said this, The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and the grace of God. He said that is the true treasure of the church. And if you follow him down, he says something like this. He says the beauty of the gospel and actually the offense of the gospel is that the gospel takes the least of these and makes them first. The last shall become first when it comes to the gospel. But I want you to imagine this that this would have been an affront, it would have been an anathema to the concept of indulgences, where people were paying for their salvation. Because whereas the gospel is about making the least become first, indulgences were all about maintaining the status quo of keeping the wealthy in the front of the line, right? Because you could only pay for your indulgences if what? If you had the money. It is completely, it's the complete antithesis to the gospel. And Martin Luther was appalled by it. The true treasure of the church is the most holy gospel of the glory and of the grace of God. This morning's message is entitled, Broken and Beautiful. And it's from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 12. And Paul, in this passage, in, in, a, in, in the passages before and after, he's speaking to the beauty and the glory of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, what I want to do is, I, I like to do this, you've heard me do this before, but I think it's very important for us just to make very clear what the gospel, what the good news is. The good news, remi- remember, is this, is that while we were sinners... Christ 
died for us. That's the good news, that he died for us and he achieved victory over sin and death by rising again. That is the good news of the gospel. And so Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 12, But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death is at work in us, but life in you. Let us pray. Father, the idea that the gospel is this treasure in jars of clay is astounding and confounding. The idea that you would entrust such a glorious treasure to broken and sinful men and women is almost beyond belief. If it weren't in your word, we would not believe it. So, Father, help us this morning to discern your word and understand for what purpose he bear this treasure. Lord, we love you, and it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So what are these jars of clay? Now, many of you in here probably have something akin to treasure. Okay. Now, when I say treasure... I, I don't mean something of immense monetary value. And, and I, I'm, I'm now being reminded of this scene from, and I'm, I'm sorry, I just have to go there because I'm, I'm a nerd. A scene from The Office. You see, Dwight Schrute beats bears in Battlestar Galactica. Uh, Dwight Schrute was shipped off to Florida so that he could open a new branch to sell, sort of like the Apple Store for inferior products. And so Dwight Schrute was going there to start this new store. And before he left the office up in Scranton, Pennsylvania, he told all of his, his worker, his colleagues, he says, while I'm gone, no one touch my treasure. Well, when you tell somebody not to touch their treasure, what are you going to do? You're going to go touch the treasure. If I tell Donna that I have placed a treasure in my office, Donna's fingerprints are going to be all over that by next Sunday. All right? And I, I, I know it's right, Donna. I know it is. All right? No, but in all seriousness, all right, she's like, hopefully it's the electric bill. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but he, he said, don't touch my treasure. Well, now everybody's excited and they want to touch this treasure. And so they get this box out that has a label on it saying Dwight's treasure. Right there, you should be suspicious. And so what do they do? They invite the most idiotic person in the office to open that treasure, Creed Bratton. And Creed gets the treasure box, 
He sets it in front of him, and everybody's kind of backing up because they don't know what's in that box. It's got to be a trap. If this was Indiana Jones, it would be. So Creed opens the box, and he looks in, and he pulls out a picture of all of his friends and colleagues there in the office. And everybody is so amazed by that. They're like, oh, he treasures us. And as right as he says that, a poison dart shoots straight out of the treasure box and hits the ceiling. Now, maybe you all have some treasure that you all want to protect with a poison dart in a box, right? So when I say treasure, I don't necessarily mean monetary value. I'm saying something that is of, of, of great importance to you. And so maybe that is, maybe it's a photograph, maybe it's a necklace. I know that Donna has a penny that she treasures. There are many things that we treasure, right? And we keep them in very safe places, whether it be a safe or a filing cabinet or something like that. We keep them away so that they don't get lost, they don't get damaged. Well, in this, it says we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now, Paul is speaking of the gospel. The treasure here is the gospel, and he's saying that it is hidden away in jars of clay. That does not make sense. You don't keep your treasure in something that is so fragile. In the first century, over in the Middle East, these jars of clay would not have been akin to like a cannon gun safe or something like that. They would have been fragile jars that would have been very easily cracked or broken and been able to get into. Yet this treasure, the gospel, is being stored, is being kept in jars of clay. And it says that they are being, it's being stored there to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Which means we have to answer what is the jar of clay. Well, it's obviously not a literal jar of clay because the gospel is not something tangible that we hold, all right? It is a person, if you will. It is a sacrifice. So what is the jar of clay? Well, it's not a what. It's a who. You and I are the jars of clay. The treasure of the gospel is being kept in jars of clay, fragile, cracked, and easily broken, but made beautiful by what's inside. You see, a treasure chest is not valuable because of the chest. The treasure chest is valuable because what's inside the chest. You and I may be jars of clay, easily fractured, easily broken. And some of you all are saying, Amen to that. We know what that's like. Yet the treasure that is inside is of infinite value. And it says, Paul here says, that God keeps this treasure, the gospel, in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Why is it? It is because God is going to get the glory for the treasure that is within. God is going to get the glory. If we were made of something more than just simple pottery, than, than clay that has been thrown into a kiln 
and, and, and glazed uh, to provide some strength. If we were more than that, if we were an iron case or a brick structure encasing this tre- treasure, we might start getting the, the idea or the concept that we are more powerful or have more value in and of, of ourselves than we really do. The question is this, why do we have any value at all? The only reason you and I, as as canisters, broken canisters for this treasure, the only reason you and I have any value at all is because we are made in the image of God. You and I do not make up our own value and our own worth. We are worth nothing were it not for God. We are but dirty rags were it not for Christ. There is no value in and of of us were it not for God molding us and making us into who we are. We are jars of clay and our purpose, our purpose is to reveal the treasure that is inside. The purpose of the jar of clay is to reveal the treasure that is inside. And folks, I will tell you, that is our primary purpose in life. If you want to know, God, what is my purpose? Your purpose is to magnify Christ Jesus that is found in the good news of Jesus Christ. That's it. I find it wonderfully satisfying that Christy goes on this trip to Israel, this Christian retreat, only to find herself smack dab in a situation where she gets to reveal the gospel to these individuals that are with her. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, typically when you go on a church retreat or a Christian retreat, Everybody around you, they're Christians, and so you're fellowshipping, and you're celebrating, and you're, you're seeing things and stuff like that. But Christy has the phenomenal opportunity in the midst of the Holy Land to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, where Jesus Christ himself shared the gospel. Isn't that fascinating? I told Crystal, and now I'm eating my words. I said, you know, when Christy was going to the Holy Land, I was like, that's a neat trip, and I'm really, really excited for her. I really am. Um, but I was like, you know, it's so brown there. All the buildings are brown. There's nothing to shoot. Um, animals, you know, to hunt and stuff like that. There's nothing there like that to hunt. And stuff, you know, so I'd like, I'd rather go to Alaska or Colorado or, you know, something like that. But my goodness, imagine given the opportunity, the unsuspected opportunity to reveal the treasure that is the gospel in the same location where Christ revealed the gospel to her. That's astounding. And only by God's providence, only by God's providence would that happen. And so, I am so grateful that she is having this opportunity. But we are jars of clay. And never forget that. Never forget 
that you and I are simply jars of clay. And what brings us value is not the jar, but what is inside the jar. Some of you all might be nerdy like me and like to watch National Geographic. And when you're watching National Geographic, sometimes they go into these like these pyramids and these these mausoleums and stuff where people have been buried and encased for thousands of years. And then you find all these jars and all these things in this in these, you know, makeshift tombs. And and the clay pots, they, they really bring no intrinsic value. It's basically mud and water that's been solidified, but inside, oftentimes there's treasure. The treasure is inside the jar of clay. And it is so that we realize and everyone around us realize that the power belongs to God and not to us. And it is our job to show, to reveal that treasure. Which brings me to the second point. The purpose of suffering. That sometimes, in order to reveal the treasure inside, the jar of clay must be broken. It must be broken. How many times have individuals, even Christians, dealt with suffering in their life? And they say, why? Why, O Lord? How long, O Lord, must I endure this? Why, Lord, am I having to endure this? And the answer is very clear. Your suffering has purpose. Your suffering and the purpose therein is to reveal the treasure of the gospel. Because I guarantee you, no matter how much you feel like you are suffering, Christ suffered more on your behalf. And so sometimes the jar of clay to reveal the treasure of the gospel inside must be broken. And Paul writes, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body of the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our bodies. Now, Paul is speaking of himself and of the disciples that are with him. And he is saying that in our ministry, as we are proclaiming the gospel, number one, we are afflicted in every way. We are perplexed. We are persecuted. We are struck down. In all of these ways, those are the things that are happening to us. We are jars of clay, and we are being struck at every single angle. This perfect jar of clay is no longer perfect. It is completely and utterly malformed because of the persecution that they are enduring, the suffering that they are enduring. But I want you to catch this, that Paul says that while all these negative, seemingly negative things are happening, it says that they are not crushed, they are not driven to despair, they do not feel forsaken, and they are not destroyed. And that is the difference between somebody 
who is living for themselves and someone who is living for Christ. The Christian, when they are afflicted in every way, they cannot cower down and say, woe is me. Because the Christian, while they might be afflicted, they are not crushed. They are not crushed. While the Christian might be perplexed at circumstances, the Christian is never driven to despair. Yes, we may question, we may ask why, we may wonder, we may be perplexed, but we are never driven to utter despair where we do not realize where our ultimate hope is found. We may be persecuted, but we know that we are never forsaken. When Christ says, go to the ends of the earth, Christ knows that he is sending his brothers and sisters into the lion's den to be mauled and to be eaten. Yet he says, I am with you. You may be mauled by that lion. You may be killed by that lion. But in me, in Christ, you will truly live. It says you might be struck down, but you will not be destroyed. Now it is certainly true that many disciples, many followers of Christ, they were physically killed. They were physically killed. When Paul says that they are not destroyed, they are not crushed, they are not utterly consumed, he is speaking from a spiritual perspective. Is that in Christ, when we trust Christ as our Savior, and the Holy Spirit is within us, and we as jars of clay are storing this magnificent treasure of the gospel in us, no power of hell, no angel, no demon, no man, no woman, nothing can utterly destroy you. Because in the end, you have life and life everlasting in Christ. There is a purpose in your suffering. There's a purpose in it. So when you are asking why, why am I being afflicted? Why am I, why, why, why am I suffering in this way? As a Christian, make sure that you are also reminding yourself that your suffering ultimately is to reveal Christ. So the real question is not why am I suffering? It's how do I magnify Jesus in the midst of my suffering? Do you have a loved one who died? How can you magnify Christ even in their death? Do you have a significant illness or disease? How can I magnify Christ even in my illness? Has personal circumstances uh, caused you to either be financially 
um, d- distraught or your, your job is not going well or just these, just these things from life just come at you. You're not happy with your profession, happy with your occupation, happy in a relationship, whatever it might be. The question is not why, God, am I going through this? The real question is how can I magnify Christ in the midst of this season of suffering? That's the question for the Christian. Because the unbeliever, all they can do is surmise that none of it has any purpose. But the believer knows that there is purpose. So in the words of John Piper, do not waste your suffering. And the final point this morning, Paul writes this. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also, also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. So Paul and the disciples regularly, on Wednesday nights, the adults are walking through the book of Acts. And we are constantly seeing how the disciples in every city that they go to are being maligned by either the Jews that are there or the Gentiles that are unbelieving. They're being maligned, they're being persecuted, they're being brought into the midst of the courtyard to either be stoned or to be persecuted. And Paul here is saying, all of this, we are risking real death every day for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. One of the saddest things I believe, it's not one of, it is the saddest thing, is that a person can go through their entire life, their entire life, and their main goals and their main achievements all revolve around themselves. That when they come to the end of their life, And they look back on their life. All they see are things that they have accomplished for their own sake. And for their own glory. And for their own fame. But when a Christian, a committed, devout, Christ-following Christian, is on their deathbed, They can look back and they can say, I lived for something greater than myself. In fact, I lived for something that is the greatest of all. I lived and I died for the sake of the gospel. May that be said of every Christian, that we died for the cause of the good news of Jesus Christ. That we gave our entire life to it. And here's what... And this is what's beautiful about a Christian on their deathbed. Is that the Christian on their deathbed will look back and they may even say this. I could have done even more. And won't we all and can't we all say that even right now? I mean, I can guarantee you right now that hopefully a long time from now, when I am on my deathbed, or mid-air falling off of a mountain. Remember, that's kind of my thing, right? As I'm tumbling down, that's what I'll be thinking about, is I'll be thinking, man, thank you, God, for letting me live for Jesus. I wish I could have done more. 
true life of regret is someone who didn't live beyond themselves. They lived only for themselves. But as Christians, we live for Christ. And we die for Christ, knowing that in death it is gain, because we gain Jesus. And Paul says, we live, we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh, so death that is so death is at work in us, but life in you. Paul and the disciples are willing to go to the to their deaths so that their neighbor might know Jesus. You know, Christ gave his life for your salvation. He did. Christ gave his life that you might be saved. But I want you to catch this. Paul and Stephen and John and Peter and many, many more gave their lives so that you would know that Jesus gave his life. Jesus gave his life so that you would be saved and the disciples gave their lives so that you would know about it. How many of us, I said early on, I, I, I said early on that I, I, I hope that it is within me because we are called to this, to give our lives not just for our friends and our loved ones, but also those who would be called enemies. You know, I, I'm just, I just hope that there is a day that the Lord gives me the opportunity to risk my life for someone that the world would say it's illogical for me to risk my life for. Like a Louisville fan or something like that. I, I, I brought that sentimental moment and just made a joke out of it. But you get where I'm going though, right? You get where I'm going. Are we willing to give our lives? Because Paul did and Christ did. That ranger named Amy never got that man's name. He would not tell her his name. So she just started calling him John. And they eventually made it down the mountain and he drove away. And months would pass. Months would pass. And eventually, their station chief received a letter in the mail. And he said, you need to read this. And Amy opened the letter. And he said, I know that you will remember me. He said, I want to be anonymous, but you kept calling me John. And he said, you risked your life for me. You risked your life for me. And he said, I want you to know that it was not an accident that, you, that I was on that mountain where I was. It was not an accident that I was wearing tennis shoes. And I wasn't wearing clothes that I should have been wearing. And that I didn't have water and I didn't have food. He said, it was not an accident. He said, I intended for that to happen. 
He said, you know, I know that mountain very well. And he said, I know the weather and how it changes. He said, I went on that mountain to die. I went on that mountain. I followed the trail. And then I got off the trail as far as I could so that no one would find me. And I sat there knowing that the weather would eventually take my life. Because I didn't want to live anymore. He said, then you came and you, you got me. And I was a stranger. And I wasn't helping you very much. But you wouldn't stop. You wouldn't stop. And you got mad at me, but you, even when you were mad at me, you were kind to me. And you risked your life for me. You could have died rescuing someone who didn't really want to live in the first place. And he said, I want you to know that I'm not wasting it. I'm working with a recovery group. They found me a job. I have a place to live. And I'm getting back on my feet. And I'm going to paraphrase what he said, but he basically said, I'm alive today because of you. And the ranger said that she couldn't make it through the letter. Because she couldn't read it. Her eyes were filling with tears so much. She had no idea. Now, folks, I'm going to tell I would love to say that that guy gave his life over to Christ and he's now a pastor of some mega church or an evangelist in Africa. I would love to say that. I don't know that. That, that's, that wasn't the, the point of their story. But here's the point of mine. That they may not even realize. It was by God's providence that that ranger was on that mountain that day. It was by God's providence that she felt the need to keep on going even when the weather would tell her to turn back. And it was by God's providence that she would discover that man on that hillside. You cannot tell me that was chance. You cannot tell me that was luck. You cannot tell me that it was just good fortune. Folks, that is by God's divine providence that that works, that, that works out like that. And that woman gave her life, was willing to give her life for a stranger. Are we willing to give our lives these broken jars of clay so that we can reveal? See, this man, he, just, he gained his physical life. I have no idea if he ever gained his spiritual life. But see, here's the thing, is that it doesn't matter whether or not he physically lives or dies. What really matters is if he truly spiritually lives. That's what matters in the end. And are we willing to be broken for the sake of the gospel? So Martin Luther says that the true treasure of the church is the whole, most holy gospel of Jesus Christ. And I say yes and amen. Now as jars of clay, be willing to be broken to show others that good news. If I could say it this way.
be willing to surrender all. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and we adore you. Let us not take for granted this treasure that you have given us in the gospel. Let us be willing to be broken and to be surrendered over for the sake of that gospel going forward to the nations, to our neighbor. The world thinks it's crazy. The world thinks it's a waste. But to a believer in Christ, it is everything. Lord, we love you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.